We're going to be picking up again in Acts chapter 4. Yeah, I'll give me notes here. And the title of today's message is In the Name of Jesus, Part 2. Part 2. You know, last week we talked about in the beginning that people do things in the name of a lot of different things, really. Uh, in the name of love, in the name of God, quote-unquote, whatever they name their God. In the name of freedom or religion or just staying true. People do things in the name of a lot of different things these days. Um, but what do we do? What do we do from day to day? What do we do? You know, maybe tomorrow's Monday morning. You get up, you hopefully shower or shower tonight and you brush your teeth. Uh, you get presentable to go out in the world and you go do your day. You know, what name do you, what, what do you do? What name do you do it in? You know, are you doing things for your own cause or your own purpose? Are we doing them for our own cause or someone else's maybe? Oh, I got to make the boss happy today. <laughs> you know, I want, I don't want to lose my job. And you know, that's part of that's well and good, but are we considerate of, of God's name and God's plan in our lives at all? when we get up and go about our business. And I'm not saying that I, I do all the time. I think that, um, you know, it's very easy to get distracted of, of what God wants to do, even in a simple morning time with him or just on a Tuesday. You know, God has plans and purposes for that. You know, God doesn't live for the weekends like we do sometimes. Um, but he understands, he understands. But I think sometimes it's healthy to, to consider what do we do and why are we doing it and who are we doing it for? Or why are, are we in the situations in our life? Are they because of our own choices, our own will? You know, you're here because you got up and you chose to come here, or we made you stay. <laughs> but really, why are we in the situations we're in? Maybe we have a good job because we have a good education, or uh, we knew somebody who worked there. Um, maybe we're in a bad situation because of our choices. Maybe you got pulled over because you are going too fast and on ICC. I don't know. But are we there for because of our own choices? Are we there because they're God's choices for our lives? Because we can be in good situations and it's totally not God's will for our life. Or we can be in bad situations and it totally is God's will for our life. But we go, God, I want to get out of this. God, can I go, please? But there's only one true power in doing things in one way and by one name. That's Jesus. You know, there's only one decision or one thing that you're going to do in any situation that really has any power in it. You know, we can put a lot of pomp and circumstance around what we do or why we do it, but it won't have any real, lasting, eternal power unless God is in it. But last week we saw Peter and John were jailed for sharing the gospel. Remember, they went to go to the hour of prayer. Um, they saw the, the, the beggar there who had been lame from birth. And he was just kind of begging for money. And uh, in Jesus' name, they healed him. And he got up and rejoiced and went to the temple. The people were all amazed. And from there, they shared the gospel. Well, we saw last week that the religious leaders didn't really take uh, too kindly to that. So they took them aside by force. They put them in jail overnight. And then they convened and had their little court meeting, which we're going to uh, continue in today. But they, what did they share? They shared the resurrection and Jesus Christ. Those things and the, the things that go along with that. It was a very short message that he gave. But the Sadducees and the high priest and everyone else who were there, the leaders, if you remember, they asked those things. They said, uh, by what power and by what name did you do this? 
And I don't like I don't think that they were asking in gen uh, in sincerity really saying by what name you know how can we figure this out how can we know you know like some of the people in the crowd were probably asking they were more asking on an academic level probably and really more well give us an answer so that we might accuse you and have some reason to uh, punish you as we'll see here in a minute but Peter gave the same message. It was slightly tailored again for this crowd, but it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the third time he gave it. We saw it at Pentecost, we saw it to the people, and we see it here to the religious leaders. But Father, we pray that, God, your word, you'd open it up to us. God, that, uh, Lord, despite our shortcomings, despite um, uh, anything in us that's just uh, uh, fall short of you, God, we know that, God, you're perfect, and God, you want to speak to us today, and we thank you for that, that we can just come to you simply and boldly before your throne of grace, and that, God, you're going to minister to us, and uh, Lord, we pray that we'd walk away uh, knowing more of you and about you and who you are, and that, Lord, you would begin to continue that work that you started in us and make us bold for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read a few verses here, starting in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no, to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. We'll stop there. It says here in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled. They marveled. You know, I guess it didn't take very long for the words coming out of Peter's mouth for people to realize this guy probably doesn't have a Harvard degree. <laughs> they said boldness, uneducated, untrained. Boldness. I, I, we're going to do a word study, which I'm not really too into, but I think it's kind of important here. The word boldness is freedom in speaking or unreservedness in speech, that they were willing to say what was on their mind, what was on their heart, what God was leading them to say without fear, that they just said, hey, this is the truth. That's it. You know, you get pulled over, you're doing 65. No, officer, I was doing 65 and a 65. Um, you know, there's, there's boldness there. But it also means without concealment, without ambiguity, am ambiguity, without the use of figures and comparisons, um, cheerful courage even, that they were just open and transparent, as the world might say today, that the world always claims it's transparent and that they have these policies of transparency, whether it's at work or in the government or wherever it is, and yet you go, I don't really know if that's as transparent as you want it to be, but here that they were as open and as clear and as uh, black and white as possible. And I think that's important. It's very important to see that even when they were called before the religious leaders, they gave them the truth. They didn't, you know, butter them up at all. They just said, hey, this is it. We're already arrested. We know what you guys are probably wanting to do to us, but we're not going to change our tune. I think we can see a difference here between the world's boldness and biblical boldness. You know, the world's boldness is perhaps based on education, stature, position, your ability. I'm the best basketball player in town. I have a right to talk. I can slam dunk from the, you know, the half court line. That's not me, obviously. Maybe they're birthright. Do you know who I am? I'm the son of the king, or um, I'm 
Senator so-and-so, whatever it is, or I own Google. Maybe it's their looks. They're a famous movie star or they're a model or whatever the case may be. And they feel like they have this authority, this power. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's any of these things. Maybe it's just out of sense of pride. Maybe they don't have any of these things, but they've got this sense of pride about themselves and they're very bold in that. And I think the boldness that comes from the Lord, in fact, I know in some sense, is really more based on things like our relationship with him. Our righteousness because of what he's done. The calling that we know he's placed on our lives. Whether we totally understand it or not, but we know it's there. Our position before God, humility. Not our position in what we've gained in life, but we realize, wow, you know, God is holy. God is holy. And when we begin to realize that he's holy and that we're, we're not so much, there begins to be this boldness there. Or a soberness, perhaps. You know, in the world, you know, someone gets a little intoxicated, they get kind of bold. I don't know if you remember the days of going out partying or on the middle of the street and somebody would get in a fight because they were a little too bold with the wrong person. You know, but that's not the way the Lord would have us. He'd have us be very sober, and not just in physical ways, but in spiritual ways. Or that we're born again or heavenly minded. But all these things are really wrapped in love. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. You know, that's a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse. You know, how rarely do we talk, or perhaps maybe it's just me, with absolute freedom about the things of the gospel, to other believers even, or even in the world? You know, how, how open are we with our coworkers? How open are we with our friends when it comes to the things of the gospel? Sometimes it's harder than we think. Especially, you know, you know we just moved down here. Sometimes it's kind of like, well, what do we say? What do we do? You know, you're, you're getting your feelers out there. But really, the Lord would have us all be bold. You know, it says that we're to be without concealment. Without concealment, we're not to cover it up. You know, we don't need to go around with our spiritual headlights blaring in everyone's face all the time. But really, when push comes to shove, we don't need to cover it up. We don't need to cover it up. You know, we're not to hide who we are in Christ. Or even more than that, who's, who Jesus is. Maybe when we have a conversation with someone. Oh, well, you know, it's just, just what I believe. No, well, yeah, it is what you believe, but that's, it's the truth. It's the truth. We don't need to ram it down someone's throat, per se, but... We don't need to, to water it down at all. You know, the truth, the truth is bold. When the truth gets out there, things begin to change. You see a guy like, you know, just because it's fresh in my mind, a guy like Edward Snowden or any of these guys who leak things on companies, um, right or wrong, when the truth gets out there, things begin to change. Things begin to happen. But it says that they were unlearned. Unlearned or unlearned. It means that they were illiterate. Illiterate, you know, Peter was... Um, a fisherman. Basically, he probably fished his whole childhood, went out with dad and fished, and as he got older, he went out and fished. He didn't really have too much schooling. You know, we take it for granted, I think, in America or even in uh, most societies in the world today, uh, that we have schooling, that we have education. Um, I think my grandfather made it through eighth grade, and that was sort of kind of normal in those days because of the way everything was. But their speech, like I said, wasn't really Harvard quality. It wasn't the best sentence structure. They didn't have the newest um, adjectives and pronouns and synonyms and fancy language that you might see as you read a magazine or a newspaper article, which uh, someone who's very educated might write. But what's interesting is that despite all that, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
So perhaps those ums and ahs and misused contractions that Peter maybe used, they were all inspired by God. They're inspired by God. Because why? God doesn't need a fancy vocabulary. God created all the languages in a sense. He split us all out and, and yeah, we form them and we use them as, as time goes on. But God has power over language. We saw earlier that uh, when the Holy Spirit came, the people began to speak and everyone understood it in their own language and they didn't understand it. They didn't understand. How, is it, how are we hearing the good things of God in our own language? These guys uh, don't speak our language. You know, we see elsewhere in the scripture, fishermen, or even about Jesus. Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, God loves to use things that don't make sense in the world's eyes. You know, Philippians 3, 8 through 15 says, this is coming from Paul, uh, who we know is very educated and very influential and had a lot of stature. He says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on a few verses later, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, Paul's education, when he came to know Jesus, didn't matter to him. Did God use it? Absolutely. I think it's part of one of the reasons that God maybe even called Paul, or the plan that God had for Paul when he was Saul was he had all this education. He knew the quote-unquote Old Testament inside and out. And when he went away in the wilderness for a few years, he began to reconcile those things uh, with his faith. And from there, God used him to write the New Testament, to plant a lot of churches. So God used all those things. God implanted all those things in him. God made Paul... uh, educated so that he was able to write these things down. Um, Yeah, he had a scribe here and there, but Paul could write a very good theological argument. We read some of these scriptures and his sentences. How long is that? We've got to go back and take a few words at a time because of the depth of spiritual wisdom in just a few words that uh, Paul chooses by the Holy Spirit. So it's not that his education uh, couldn't be used anymore by God, but he says that he counted it as rubbish because it was better for him to know Jesus than the, just to have the education about what the scriptures said. It meant more to him. He said, I don't, I don't want any of this anymore if it means I can't have Jesus. If Jesus isn't the primary thing in his life. You know, it was his relationship with the Lord. And, you know, a lot of times his relationship with the Lord was strengthened through suffering, not through enlightenment. We don't see Paul growing in his relationship with Jesus by going to anything other than going out and sharing the gospel and getting stoned and then going back out there or being shipwrecked or being poor or being whatever these things are. And it makes me think of seminary in a way. Not that there's anything wrong per se with going to seminary or Bible college or taking Bible college classes or going to studies throughout the week or anything to improve your understanding of the scripture, to dig deep in these things. I think they're all important. But again, you know, we want to be careful that the seminary doesn't become our cemetery. You know, again, there's nothing wrong with it. But I think a lot of people in it, and it's not just necessarily a cemetery, it can be anything um, uh, spiritual about gaining knowledge in Jesus. Um, it's misguided. It's misguided. You know, there's this book uh, that I've been reading called Dangerous Calling. And I've been reading it over a long period of time just to, you know, just when it fits in my schedule. 
which is rarely, obviously, but it's a fantastic book. It's by this uh, guy who's a pastor, and he taught at seminary for many years. And I'm going to read a, a quote from uh, early on in his book about seminary. It says, since seminary tends to academize, acad- see, I can't even read it, Academize the faith, making it a world of ideas to be mastered. I will write about this at at length later in this book. It is quite easy for students to buy into the belief that biblical maturity is about the precision of theological knowledge and the completeness of their biblical literacy. So seminary graduates who are Bible and theology experts tend to think of themselves as being mature. Remember, this guy taught at seminary for many years. And also went to seminary. But it must be said that the maturity is not merely something you do with your mind, although that is an important element of spiritual maturity. No, maturity is about how you live your life. It is possible to be theologically astute and be very immature. It is possible to be biblically literate and be in need of significant spiritual growth. He goes on, he says, I was an honors graduate of seminary. I won academic awards. I assumed I was mature and felt misunderstood and misjudged by anyone who failed to share my assessment. In fact, I saw those moments of confrontation as part of the persecution that anyone faces when he gives himself to gospel ministry. Now, the roots of this are a deep misunderstanding of what sin and grace are all about. You see, sin is not first an intellectual problem. Yes, it does affect my intellect, he says, as it does all parts of my functioning. Sin is first a moral problem. It is about my rebellion against God and my quest to have for myself the glory that is due to him. He later on says, Biblical maturity is never about just what you know. It's always about how grace has has employed what you have come to know to transform the way you live. And he goes on later, he says, Wisdom is the commitment of your heart that leads to the transformation of your life. Again, he doesn't necessarily say that seminary is wrong, but he says in a lot of this book, it's really, it's, it goes from there, it starts from there, but then it goes into the pastor's life, and it's really a, a book that, that, that cuts you deep if um, you know, you're a pastor or you're in ministry, or even if, you know, if you're not in any of those things, you can read the book, I'm sure it cuts you, because we get involved in all these things based on our knowledge or based on our position or based on our experience, and really what he's saying, well, it's about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing God. It's about being real, that there really is no difference between any of us before God. Before God, these differences are just stuff we put between each other. But it says here that they were untrained. They were uh, a private person as opposed to a magistrate. So these guys were blue collar. They were blue collar. They came in. They were the working class guys. You know, and saying all this, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having things. God likes that we have things. I mean, all of us, in comparison to someone in a third world country, are filthy rich. You know, I forget what the statistic is, but if you own a car, you're in the top, like, 5% or something like that of, of people. Um, don't quote me on that number, but it's, it's a staggering number. Again, there's nothing wrong with having education. There's nothing wrong with being smart. I like to learn. I like to learn about things. Um, but really, that's okay. It's just not a necessity. It's not a proof of your calling. There's no amount of schooling we can go to. There's no amount of people that can pat us on the back that will ever replace the calling of God in our lives. Whether it's for salvation. You know, you go to a church your whole life. God, I went to this church my whole life. My grandmother went to this church. You know, I served coffee at this church. Whatever it was, he's going to go, I never knew you. I never knew you. But on the flip side of that, neither is being untrained or poor. You know, just because it's 
not necessarily spiritual to have all these things doesn't mean it's not necessarily spiritual spiritual to not have all those things you know i think that uh, we like to go on these two extremes in in christianity or in in life really the flesh loves the extremes the flesh loves to say oh well, i have all this education so i'm better than you and the flesh also likes to say well i don't have education i don't even wear shoes all the time because i'm better than you and i'm not dependent on society like you are you know we love these extremes but so often than not the truth is somewhere in the middle you know, God may make you rich for his purpose. We see that in scripture, and I've seen that in people's lives. But God may also make you poor for his purpose in your life. Maybe having those things would get in the way of knowing him. And it's not even just things. Sometimes it's other things like we talked about education or relationships. However, after saying all that, more often than not, the, the majority of people I meet, whether they're Christians or not Christians, I think that wealth tends to get in the way. Wealth tends to get in the way. When people tend to not have those things, they tend to give more. I remember hearing a statistic. Again, I don't remember the number, so take it with a grain of salt. And even then, all statistics, uh, you know, you can kind of get them to say what you want them to say. But really, they, saw, they looked at the amount that people gave and saw that in America, at least, the people who had less ended up giving more. Um, and that's not to say that people who have don't give. Um, you know, again, we could say that's all relative. But I think sometimes... That's why the Lord spoke so much about money and possessions in the Bible, because they so easily sway our heart. I know it does for me, very easily in my life. Oh, I got a new thing. Oh, you know, I want to go do this new thing. Or there's a movie came out. I'm willing to go and stay up to go watch this new movie came out. But man, did I stay up and spend time with the Lord like that? I don't know. But really, I think the point is that no matter what it is, sometimes the things that seem necessary aren't so necessary aren't so necessary but back to uh the guys here it says that uh they marveled they marveled they said whoa these guys can barely speak they don't have a lot of authority or a position or power in the world but they realized something very key it says they realized that they had been with jesus they realized that the explanation for all of this going on was that these guys had been with jesus they'd been around jesus as if jesus had kind of rubbed off them they go i see what they're doing I hear what they're saying. And I was around back in the day when Jesus was 12 and he came to the temple for a few days and he talked about the scriptures and we didn't know how he knew all those things about the scriptures. But being with Jesus trumps all education. You know, it's where our life flows from. And really, that's what Christianity is about. It's about Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, then what's it about? If it's not about him and it's not being done in his name. What's the point? What's the point? You guys might remember that old bumper sticker that says, No Jesus, N-O Jesus, N-O peace. Or No Jesus, K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W peace. I remember I had it on my door growing up and I didn't really know what it meant. <laughs> but really it's true. Without Jesus, nothing matters. But with him, we can have something that you can't buy anywhere else. But verse 14 says, They saw the man who had been healed standing with them, and they could say nothing against it. Obviously, there's this guy who got healed. You can't say anything against it. He wasn't walking for 40 years. He's begging outside the temple. Now he's up leaping and praising God. What are you going to say? That's a joke? <laughs> You've just been sitting there 40 years not doing anything, living like a bum so that one day you could validate what these guys are saying? No, that wouldn't make any sense at all. But this man being healed undermined all the power that these religious leaders 
thought they had. They thought they had the power. They thought they had the clout. Then one day it comes along, two uneducated, probably smelly guys on the way to prayer who don't have any money and just say, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And they heal this guy. And such thing, Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. That these guys um, were bold, and they were blameless and harmless in a crooked generation. It was obviously, obviously, the people didn't get it. Obviously, the religious leaders didn't get it. But these guys were blameless. And because they were blameless, not because of what they'd done, but because of Jesus, they were able to be bold. You know, a lot of what affects our boldness is that we're not blameless. Is that when we go to share, we remember, oh, I remember what I said on the way in here. I remember what I was doing last week, and uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, or maybe I shouldn't do that. And I think we need to be found blameless. We need to be found blameless. And, and part of that is really recognizing that, that God has forgiven us. You know, I think a lot of times we walk around and we're, oh man, I'm, I'm, I've got so much blame. I've got so much guilt. I can't possibly share. I can't possibly be used by God. And God's going, I forgave you for all that. You don't need to worry about that. Yeah, you did that yesterday, but I've forgiven you and I've taken that away from you. But on the flip side of that coin is that we also need to be in repentance. We also need to seek Holiness, that we can't just say, oh yeah, God forgives me. I can go out and go get wasted. And then the next day I'm going to go share the gospel with the people I got wasted with. It doesn't really work that way. But really, what is the core of all that? What's the core of being blameless and holy? Time with Jesus. If you feel unholy, go spend some time with Jesus. Whether it's a prayer, a quick prayer, whether it's a few minutes alone with him, that's going to change everything. And again, you may not think you have the authority to speak that you're just a hypocrite, you know, as the world might tell you, you're a hypocrite. I remember what you were like in college. How can you be like that now? Well, you're a hypocrite. No, I'm not. I'm not doing those things anymore. I've repented from those things. I've been forgiven for those things. I'm not endorsing those things anymore. But really, if we've repented and we've sought God, we have all the authority we need. We have all the authority we need from God because that's what it's about, that we're nothing. He's everything. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right. But it says here that after getting this whole team together, after having this argument, keeping them in jail all night, bringing them in there and uh, trying to grill them, the facts kind of just speak for themselves. This guy's healed. We don't really have anything to say against that. So kick them out of the room for a minute. So they bring uh, Peter and John out of the room and they begin to conspire against themselves. All right. Well, we don't really have anything to say against the truth. So how can we deal with this? How can we deal with this? And they begin to plot. And I think it's pretty scary that the truth wasn't good enough for the religious leaders. That's, you know, a sign of big trouble when the religious leaders don't care about the actual truth. And, you know, that's in nature. When we're so bent on something, so perverted and wanting to get our own ways, and I don't necessarily mean that in a sexual way, but really we just want to do what we want to do and we want to get what we want to get, no matter the cost, we're going to do anything to justify it. We're going to cover up the truth to silence the opposition. Oh, I can't say anything against that truth in my life, but I'm going to do whatever I can to cover it up and get it out of the way. Is the truth good enough for us? When God says something to us, 
do we believe it? When we read the Bible, do we go, oh, that's good enough for me? Yeah, I believe that. I'm going to put my trust in that. Or do we go, oh, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't really say that. Maybe I need to, to read it a little bit more. And then maybe then, maybe then I'll, I'll be good enough to believe it. Or, you know, well, who was this guy who really wrote it? You know, what was his life really like? Well, God wrote it. That's simple enough. Is that good? That's the truth. Is it simple enough for us? Do we obey it then? And then even more than that, do we follow it no matter the cost? When the simple truth of the scripture hits our lives and we believe it, are we willing to follow it no matter the cost? And I think that's probably the hardest thing because it's easy to follow the truth when it's easy, but maybe not when there's opposition or when it costs us something. But it's very interesting here again that these religious leaders, they cannot deny the truth. They don't say, well, we'll just deny that it ever happened. They go, oh, it's, it's obvious it happened. They knew it happened. It was right there in their faces that it happened. I mean, think about that. 40 years, there's this guy sitting over there, and he doesn't walk. One day he's walking rejoicing and saying, it's because these guys shared with me and helped me put my faith in Jesus, and now I walk. They couldn't deny it. It's right there in front of them. But they're so messed up. They're so distorted in their view of truth and of power and of spiritual things and really who God is that they go, well, it happened, but I don't want anything to do with it. It really makes no sense what they're doing here. They're claiming themselves to being religious leaders, very logical, very smart, and yet they do the most illogical thing. You know, the most logical thing is to say, hey, rejoice, get saved, like a few thousand people did when Peter shared the gospel, but they go, no, they, they go and they go into damage control. They say, all right, we know it happened. We saw it happen. The people saw it happen. It obviously happened. But not everyone knows about it yet. So let's turn off the internet and not let these guys get out there anymore. They say to these guys, well, we can't really say that it didn't happen. Let's just not let anyone else know it. Let's not let the word get out. And when all else fails, let's threaten some violence. You know, don't speak anymore in Jesus' name or we're going to put you in jail. Don't speak anymore in Jesus' name or we're going to take you to court. Don't speak anymore in Jesus' name or I'm going to sock you in the jaw. You know, violence, I think, is sometimes necessary to protect loved ones, to execute justice, to defend what's right. But more often not than not, violence is used for the threat of persecution. You know, remember the bully at school? I'm going to beat you up if you don't give me your lunch money. Or abusive relationships. Or dictators. You know, there's this use of violence that can be used for good in a way, but is more often than not used to, what, exert someone's ill will against someone else's. But verse 18 says they commanded them not to speak in Jesus' name. Again, they were trying to exercise their authority over something they had no authority over. They had no power over this man's life. They had no power to heal this guy. They had no power over these people because they were getting saved. And so what did they try to do? They said, all right, let's exert our authority over someplace we have no right to be in. And that was a big deal. It was a big deal to get in trouble with the religious leaders. You know, if you were a Jew and they kicked you out of the temple, that meant, means you couldn't go to worship, you couldn't go to prayer, you couldn't do the sacrificial system, which obviously these guys didn't really care about the sacrificial system anymore in a sense because Jesus was the, the answer to all that. But really, your whole personal life was messed up. You know, we might think of it more like ex, being excommunicated, where you can't go to church anymore, you can't be a part of the community anymore, you need to go live and move somewhere else. You know, your whole life is messed up because of it. 
You know, the Bible teaches us that sin separates. That, yeah, when we sin, it separates us from each other and our relationships. It separates us from God and our relationship with Him. I mean, that's really what, what sin is in its essence. But more than that, sinners love to separate. Sinners love to separate. A sinner is someone who's going to go out and try and separate you from the truth for their own cause or separate you from a relationship or separate you um, from your belongings that they might have them. There's certain people I won't play Monopoly with because they're so good at separating me from my property. But sinners also love to separate the truth from reality. They want to live in a reality with their own truth, with their own ideas of what is, is right and what is wrong and what is real and what is acceptable. Because they want their sin and that alternate reality to become acceptable, to become the truth. Let's go on, verse 19. Uh, but Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man uh, was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Verse 19 says, but Peter and John answered, and I love it, that this sentence, even in itself, starts off with but. The sentence in itself is in opposition to all the, all the things that these religious leaders were, were putting down here. That these guys were real rebels. Not only did they go against the whole system, they followed Jesus, they left their lives, they pursued him even when persecution was near, they shared the gospel, they get arrested, they get told that we're going to do stuff to you and you don't say this name ever again or preach it, and they go, well, no way, no way. And the world is looking to be rebellious today, that the rebel is cool, the cool kid is the rebellious kid. Um, and there's acceptable tolerances in that. I remember in high school, there were kids who were cool because they were rebellious, but then there were kids who were really rebellious and they were, you know, were kind of scary. But I think it's interesting that they say, well, you guys decide. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. They say, you guys are religious leaders. You guys love judging things. You guys love figuring things out and scheming. You figure it out whether it's right or wrong for us to obey you but we can only speak to what we've seen. They say, okay, we don't even necessarily know what the legality of the law perhaps says. And I don't necessarily think they're coming from that angle, but they're saying, leave it up to you. Let's put the ball in your court. You guys want to judge us. You guys want to accuse us. Well, how about we take that even further? You know, is it right for us to obey you or God? You know, you guys are religious leaders. Don't you think it would be right for us to obey God? You know, we're uneducated. We're broke. We're powerless. But we've seen Jesus, and we can't deny that. We can't deny that. I think that it's very easy in our lives to go, okay, well, I've learned this, I've done this, I've been here, but maybe this person has better experience than me. Maybe this person has better education than me. So even though I don't, I think that what they're saying is wrong, you know, that we live on Pluto, even though this is Earth, but they're scientists, so maybe I'll just listen to them in this case. But when we've seen the truth, when we know what the truth is, we've experienced the truth, and we know who the truth is, well, we won't deny it. Well, go, yeah, you're more educated than me, but I know what I saw. You know, I know you're telling me that, you guys remember Men in Black? And they would come up and in the movie, they'd, the people would see the aliens, and then the Men in Black would come and try to erase their memory with this little thing they'd put in their eyes, and the memory would go away. You know, you can't deny what you've seen. And no matter who comes up to you with the little thing to try and erase your memory, oh, well, that, 
you say that was God doing that miracle, but it really wasn't God doing that miracle. We can't really explain that. You know, maybe you know someone who was healed of uh, cancer or sickness or illness, and doctors go, we don't really know what happened. You go, I know what happened. <laughs> we prayed. God answered. You know, you can't deny that truth. But they wanted to punish them, but they knew they couldn't. One, because, well, there was nothing technically in the law to punish them. That didn't stop them before with Jesus. But because the public was watching them. And the public, even more than that, was thrilled at what God was doing. And man, if the church would let God use us so that the public would want more of him. You know, I think the, the public wants very little to do with God these days because what has the church done with God? What have we done with God? Not that it's all our, our fault, but I think we do have some responsibility in that. You know, what taste do we leave? What's our spiritual fragrance? 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? That in the world, we may smell like death to someone, but really it's because they realize we're going to heaven, and they're not yet. And to other people, we might smell like the aroma of life because they go, I know who God is, and you smell like that. But just like Jesus, the religious leaders wanted to kill him, and the religious leaders wanted to kill these men, but they couldn't because the people weren't for it. There was a long time when the religious leaders were plotting against Jesus, but they couldn't because the crowds were still for Jesus, and he slipped away and things like that. But the people weren't for it. And so the people, the religious leaders, excuse me, were waiting for the right time to, to carry this out. And so we see here these roots begin to where these religious leaders want to, well, we want to do these things, but we can't quite do them yet. Well, all right, so what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to sway public opinion. We're going to have to wait a little while so the people don't like them anymore. But we need to be wary of any leader that wants to sway your opinion to get what they want or to get you to do what they want. You know, I think in a sense, it's a reverse of 2 Timothy 4.3, where it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. That says in the last days, people won't want to hear the truth, so they go and they find a church, or they find a, a spiritual guru to tell them the truth that they want to hear. So it's not that they're going to hear the truth, they're going to hear the truth that they want to hear. But I think on the flip side of that, the people who are telling them the truth that they want to hear, which isn't truth, are telling them that truth that they want to hear so that the religious leader can get what they want. You know, the new Beamer, the new jet, the new suit, whatever it is. Or even in politics, they'll tell you what you want to hear all day long. <laughs> that They might get your vote. And then after election season comes, you go, you're not even doing what you said you were going to do. Well, it doesn't matter to them anymore because they've got what they want from you. And then you go to the same thing in relationships. You know, you're dating someone. And they come and they showered twice and they put on all this cologne and they dress nice and they borrowed their mom's car and, <laughs> you know, they came out looking all nice. And then you get married and you go, oh, you smell all the time. <laughs> you don't have a car. and <laughs> Where do you live? But false leaders, teachers, and spiritual people will say what you want, not only because you want to seek them out, but because they can get what they want, get what they want out of you. They want to use you. They want to abuse you. But it says here that all the people glorified God. You know, a thousands or a few thousand people got saved recently. But I think it says that all the people, and perhaps that means that even those people who didn't get saved, glorified God. That, yeah, I'm not really ready to give my life to Christ just yet. I'm just going, still going to go about my temple business. But I see something that's going on here. I go, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And I think we all may know people like that in our lives who maybe aren't really ready to commit their lives to the Lord. 
But they look and they go, yeah, you know what? You live a respectable life, or I, I, I can respect uh, those sort of things. But it means that those people were ripe. Those people were ripe. They were ready for the truth when they were willing to receive it. And part of it is because they saw something so amazing happen in front of them. And I think a lot of times that's what it takes for us to believe something so amazing to happen in front of us. But it has already. It has. If we'd read the Bible, we'd see that, man, something amazing has happened. Maybe they were turned off from political or religious oppression, but they were ready for it. And they knew the truth when they saw it. Whether they were ready to fully believe it and follow it or not, but they knew what the truth was when they saw it, unlike the religious leaders who had all the education and clout and power. You know, this was a major open door for them. I think we need to rejoice when people are willing to hear the gospel. When people are willing, whether they believe it or not, but they're willing to hear it, I think we need to rejoice because that's an open door. And man, I, I, I pray, and it should be our prayer, that God will open up a door like that for us down here. That yeah, the, the plowing may be hard, and it may be a lot of opposition, maybe for the entire time that we're alive. But man, wouldn't it be great if God would open a door like this? where people would be willing to hear the gospel and be open to the gospel. Let's go on. We'll read uh, 23 through 31. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot of vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles of the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. It says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. You know, they were let go, and I'm sure even the guys were letting them go were going, mm. We're letting you go, but we really don't want to let you go. You know, they were sore losers. They were letting them go this time, but we're going to look for something to to persecute with. But it's cool that immediately they went back to their friends and told them everything. You know, maybe they had roommates and they go, oh, where are Peter and John? They went to prayer and they didn't come home last night. So immediately they came home and they told them, this is what happened. Check out what happened. Isn't that amazing? And when God lays someone on your heart, maybe you haven't seen them in a while, or maybe you haven't heard from them in a while, pray for them. Reach out to them. He might be letting you know that they're in the middle of something right now. I think we need to be obedient to that. Just as a little side note, there's so often times God will lay someone on my heart, and I will reach out to them. And maybe everything's fine, but maybe everything's not. There's other times I haven't. I go, I found out something was going on. I'm like, man, I wish I was obedient. But verse 24 says, When they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth. You know, they hear the story about this man being saved, a man being healed and saved, people getting saved, going to jail, what happened in the jail, what happened in the trial. And they began to pray with one accord. They're like, man, Lord, this is great. You're doing something. They're doing something. In their prayer, they say that the nations rage. And how true is that? The nations today are raging against one another. You know, uh, 
trying to figure out, trying to scheme to get the best plan, the best deal for each other. And sometimes the nations are even raging against their own people. We hear of these things that are going on uh, in other nations with civil war and everything. But the people also plot a vain thing. And that's exactly what the le- religious leaders were doing. I think it's interesting that they pray this because they realize that, in a sense, this is scripture being fulfilled here. They're, these religious leaders were very vain. They were trying to cover up the dark spots on their hearts by concealing the truth of the work of God was doing. You know, they said, man, our hearts are messed up. We don't even want to believe the truth when we see it in front of us. So we're going to cover up our sin by getting you guys to stop doing what you're doing. And Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, Truly this only I found, Solomon says, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Many schemes. We're always seeking uh, our own way, how to get it or how to scheme. And yet, what does God say? He wants us to pray and to seek him for what we need. I think we need to let him unravel our schemes before his plan and his will can unfold in our lives. If we're walking through life, we're going, how come I'm not seeing these things take place in my life? Or how come I don't know what God's will is for my life? Well, maybe we're too busy scheming. Maybe we're too busy trying to work things out and figure things out on our own strength. We go, how come I'm not getting the best things in life? Well, maybe we're too busy. Maybe we're not letting God work, you know? But what is their prayer? You know, get us out of here. God, get us out of here. Can you get us on a boat and bring us somewhere else? Can you elect new officials? You know, not that those prayers in Isaiah would be wrong. You know, in in some cases, Jesus said, hey, if they don't accept you, wipe the dust off your feet and go to the next town. But the most spiritual prayer that they have here is that they're asking for boldness in the face of legislated persecution. It wasn't God, get us out of here. It was God, make us bold in here. You know, and that's certainly not my prayer a lot of times. A lot of times my prayer is, God, get me out of here. God, can you uh, handle this? Can you get me to move somewhere else or fix this problem in my life? But, you know, a lot of times it's really, hey, God wants to bring us through those things. And most of the time that's what God's answer is for us, that we might be bold in a dark and perverse generation. We may be going against the current of the world. Not that we might get out of the stream, but that we might go upstream. And what boldness are they asking for? Well, it's to speak your word. They realize that there needed to be a boldness for the gospel to go out effectively. If, uh, you know, a lot of us can be very timid, but when the gospel goes out, it's going to be bold and it helps to be very bold in the way that we share it. Because if we really believe it and it's really true and we just say, eh, eh, you know, I, that's the gospel. Do we really believe it? I mean, yeah, there's, there's fear and there's trepidation. You know, maybe the first time you said, I love you to the person that you love, you're like, well, I love you. You know, I never really share what they're going to say back. But man, when you're on the wedding day, you're like, I love you. Put the ring on. Let's go to Cancun. You know, you're very bold about it. I think the same way should be in our relationship with the Lord and the way the word goes out. But that's God's will, that he wants his word to go out in boldness, that people might be healed spiritually and people would also be healed physically. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people being healed physically in our day and age between medicine and everything. Um, but you look at society and you go, people aren't healed at all. People may have all the painkillers and medication and doctors, which I'm very thankful for. I'm glad we have them. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but I think as a society, we put our faith and trust in these things. And we've seen our spiritual condition really literally go to hell. But whose name? Whose name were they doing this for? Whose name did they ask for the boldness in? And they said, your holy servant Jesus. And they ask, is it holy? Is it serving others? Is it pointing to God? 
then it's probably being done in Jesus' name. You know, a lot of people do things in the name of Jesus, but it's not holy. It doesn't point to God. It doesn't serve others. And it's probably not really being done in his name. But as we close here in verse 31, I like that it says, And when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness, that God answered their prayer right away, that this was the type of prayer that God wanted to hear from them. Not crush the spiritual leaders, God, but give us strength to be bold, that your word might go out, that your holy servant Jesus would be glorified. And essentially, that the place was shaken, that God said, yes, this is awesome, and he shook the place. But they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, just like on the day of Pentecost, that they were filled again. They were filled overflowing. Peter was filled. We've read it several times in the past few chapters that God continually wants to fill these people and overflow them and use them. You know, and prayer is powerful. I think a lot of times we think prayer isn't so powerful. Maybe that's probably why I don't want to go pray. That's why I don't spend so much time in prayer. I won't go to the prayer meeting. Uh, that's maybe why we try and scheme. But really, if we just prayed first, Things will be a lot different. I guarantee if you pray before you go to work tomorrow or tonight or whatever you go to work, the things will be different. Your outlook will be different. When the, that messed up project comes across your desk or you have to go to that meeting and you get chewed out, your reaction will be hopefully a little bit different. You know, God answered their prayer right away is what we see here. And maybe that's why we're afraid to pray. We know God will answer. Now, sometimes I want to pray and I seek God and I pray and God does answer. And there's other times I go, I don't really want to pray that because I know God's going to answer. I know that I can't stay in my anger or stay in my scheme because I know God's going to change the things. But it's all of our responsibility to get the word out. It's all of our responsibility to get the word out in boldness and in power in Jesus' name. So let's be a light this week in deed and in word and... Let's start that by praying. Father, we, we pray that, God, you would use us this week, that, Lord, as we go out, whether we're at the supermarket or at the gas station or at work or um, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would give us boldness to love others and, uh, if possible, to share your word with somebody and love your truth. But if it's just boldness, just to encourage them and pray for them or uh, just to smile and be friendly and genuinely friendly even when they're uh, yelling at us for no reason, God, I pray that you would... Give us that power. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Would you shake this place? Would you shake our lives and uh, set us um, on the right course, God? We trust you and love you and ask this in your name. Amen.